Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. Is that good? Is that microphone on? We don't even know. I don't, does it sound like it's on? Yes? No? Yeah, all right, whatever. All right. Well, it is great to be here in this new location. Uh, Pastor Marcos had given me an address to park, uh, you know, like eight miles away. But uh, Ed Petrowski parked in the driveway right next door. I just figured I'd let you know. <laughs> I did tell Ed to do that. <laughs> I had to say that. I'm okay. He came and I had to tell. I told him to park there. Oh, it's so good to be here with you. Um, it really is. So many reasons to celebrate. I think about this, this little church right here, like almost, it reminds me of just something in like the heart of, of Israel, like the early church, you know, just meeting in a community just right next to a bunch of houses. And as we were singing songs, I'm out there on the front and I'm just praying and watching people walk by and I'm waving to them. And who just looks like they're walking by with either dogs or just with groceries? And I'm thinking about, man, with the great hope, right, that, that, that people would walk by and they would hear something, they would see something, and there would be something from us that would be so contagious that they would want it, right? And, and what a perfect just fill-in, just what a perfect way to segue into us today going through Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1 today, verses 1 to 8. And I love this little church. This is a, a new year for me. Each year I try to go through a book of the Bible. So now this is the first section I'll be preaching on Colossians. May even be the same section at, in Montgomery next week just for the reasons that uh, when I'm doing fill-ins, I will stick to one book pretty much for the whole year unless I'm specifically preaching, uh, filling in for um, during a, a series and so our campfire conversations, men's retreats up in the Adirondacks, and all those other things are, are going to be revolving around the book of Colossians. And it really is such a beautiful book. Uh, it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was in this place called Colossae, hence the fact that they're the Colossian believers. It's located somewhere around 80 miles away from Ephesus, uh, today, that part is known as the western part of Turkey. And um, this church most probably came into being when Paul was on his second missionary, uh, his ministry trip during Ephesus. You can read from Acts chapter 19 that says during, uh, during that time that all the residents of Asia, which included Colossae, heard the word of the Lord. So this letter, this church was most probably founded during that time. And it was most probably written by Paul when he was writing from inside a prison cell, somewhere around AD 60, AD 61. And Colossians chapter 1, as well as 4, teaches us that Epaphroditus was a part of the church, and he is Paul's lieutenant. And as he's in the church at Colossae, we have a situation. We have a problem. And so what he does, he runs to Paul, okay, somewhere around six to 800 miles away, and informs Paul, listen, we have a problem in the church. Now, the church wasn't on uh, the brink of extinction. It wasn't on the, the brink of ruins, 
but rather Epaphras tells Paul, listen, there is, there's a different message that's starting to come in. There's a different kind of philosophy. There's a, a new teaching that something of it really doesn't sound right. And what it was was like a, it was a, a, an Eastern philosophy mixed with Jewish legalism and what bred from that is the recipe, what the outcome was, was Gnosticism. And Paul knew that this had to be dealt with immediately because the church could face some real harm. So this letter was really meant as a letter of encouragement. And Paul wanted to give this reason, uh, Paul wanted to write this letter and, and express with the church of how much he loved them and to celebrate with them. Right? So there was reasons to celebrate, and I think there's reasons for us to celebrate here in this location in Goodwill Church for numerous other reasons, which we'll get to momentarily. So let's just look at the first eight verses in chapter 1, and let's see what there really is to celebrate. I'm going to read and pray. Colossians chapter 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love. Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these words. Lord, what is there to celebrate? Help us to see that. Help us to experience. Help us to see that life's not supposed to be gloomy, but rather we're to celebrate as a body of believers who we are, who we're created to be, and where we're headed. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning without Christ, please do not let them leave this church building without you opening up their heart, allowing them to receive, and in which they would be a changed person forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Celebration. Author Leo Bascaglia tells this story about his mother and their misery dinner. It was the night after his father came home and said it looked as if he would go would have to go into bankruptcy because his partner had absconded with their firm's funds. His mother went out and sold some jewelry to buy for a sumptuous feast, enough food to just feed the neighborhood. Other members of the family scolded her for it, but she told them the time for joy is now when we need it most, not next week. We need it now. Her courageous act rallied the family. I think that's the Apostle Paul's mindset when he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. He wants to tell them, listen, there's, there's reasons that we need to celebrate. The mind of the church had begun to be taken over by this wrongful thinking, these new teachers that were coming in, and, and the hope of this church began to sway in a different direction. Paul's letter here is, 
It's of encouragement. It's hey, saying, let's celebrate who we are as a people. Now, Paul never met. Um, he never met these people at this church. And I think about how he is trying to help the church and helping them to rally in their encouragement. And I think if Paul was still alive here on this earth, I think that he would be writing a letter to us too as well for us to be encouraged. We're in a new location. We have opportunities to share the gospel amongst the community. The question is, what will we do with what we've been given? Looking at verses 1 and 2, again, Paul never met the, pe- never met the people in this church. Uh, his encouragement to the church begins with the first few words of the letter. He, be- he addresses the believers at Colossae to be saints and brothers in Christ. Saints and brothers and sisters in Christ. So what they all had in common was what they were God's holy chosen people. They were a people who were set apart by faith in Christ. Paul had such a heart for these people. Their miracle had taken place. These people were without hope. They were really, they were a pagan nation. They were a pagan people. They didn't have any hope until the gospel had come and changed their lives. And when the gospel came and changed their lives, they would never be the same people ever again. Right? Think about where you were before Christ had invaded your life, before the Holy Spirit caused you to open up, to regenerate the mind that we learned from Titus chapter 3. Right? Me too. I was, I was living in a life of debauchery. God was really the last thing on my mind. Nevertheless, you people, I love you, but Christ was the last thing on my mind. And God knows that. And God loves us in such a way. And knowing the way that we were created, God doesn't wait for us to make the first move. Thank God for that. But rather, God moves in. The Holy Spirit comes in and does something inside of us and and creates us and wakens us up to the truth that He exists, that we're sinners. He exists. There is also a Satan. We're headed downstairs, but God says, I'm going to regenerate you. There's a way out. His name is Christ. Submit to him. And all these things are regenerated inside of us for us to know that God is saying, I love you before you even knew me. That miracle had taken place. Those those poor pagan people would never be the same again after God invaded their lives. Uh, The church at Colossae, as well as us and, and Paul, we share the same paternity. We've been given the gift to call God Abba, Father. That, that's, that's what they shared in common. So Paul is celebrating with the church that they were all in Christ. That means as believers that we all partake in what Christ has done and everything that Christ will ever do. We're a part of that together. That should give us hope on gloomy days. I think about what Paul tells the believers in Christ when he wrote this beautiful promise that we read from the book of Ephesians. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us 
in the beloved. God is saying, I love you so much that I am going to give you every spiritual blessing that I have. I often wonder, like, how many is that? Is that one, five, 11? Is it 11,000? Is it 11 million? Is it 11 trillion? Is it infinite? I, I don't even know. But God says, I hold nothing back from you as my son or my daughter. Everything is yours. You're mine. And just as much as you are mine, I am yours. And that we should celebrate. Looking at verses 3 to 5a, Paul celebrates the Colossian church by noting that he is always thanking God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of their faith in Christ and of the love that they have for all the brothers and sisters in the church. Now, the church here has faith in Christ, and that's reached Paul's ears all the way to Rome. Their good actions, their faith, has made it 800 miles away with no email, no text messages, no cellular service, which, by the way, mine has been horrible lately, right? I can't get any phone calls through. And he gets word that this church is living out a life that's imitating the beauty and characteristic of Christ, and it has reached his ears. But notice, notice that Paul speaks about a faith. Now, without faith, there is absolutely no Christian experience. There's none. But notice that Paul is very specific about the object of their faith, and the object is Jesus Christ. How many times have we heard it, maybe growing up or recently, somebody says, man, you got to just have faith. you got to have faith. you got to believe in something, Right? And I remember growing up as a kid, I remember getting in people's cars as a kid, and, and there'd be all sorts of, you know, rabbit's feet dangling. I don't know how that's bringing good luck. Rabbit had to die, right? So he got his feet hanging from the mirror. It's kind of weird to me when I think about it now. Or, you know, I come from an Italian-Irish background. We had the, the Italian gold horns hanging from there. And, and then we had all these girls that had those charm bracelets, and they would have all these charms, and all these different charms meant that, you know, they were going to get blessings and good luck. And, and I remember robbing factories as a kid. I was selling these girls these bracelets, right? So I got to talk it up. Of course, it's going to bring good tidings to you, right? So, but the truth is this. Faith, faith has absolutely no intrinsic value in itself. It must find its value from its object. When you're in a conversation with someone and they may say to you, uh, you hear this statement that, um, hey, uh, what do you, I have faith. Maybe, maybe it's for you to ask them, well, what do you have faith in? Do you have faith in reincarnation? Do you have faith that God is good? Right? Because a lot of people will say, well, I believe that. I believe that God is good. Right? Do you have, do you, do you believe that faith holds something of great value? The, you know, do you believe that even, do you, do you believe in belief itself? And those things, they, they, they may seem good from the outside, but the appropriate answer to all these questions is that salvation does not come from believing in belief. It doesn't even come from, it doesn't even come just from believing in the church creeds. 
What salvation comes from is believing and trusting in the person and work, the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And that is the only thing. True salvation can only come by believing and trusting in Christ. That's what the false teachers were trying to do to the church of Colossae. They were trying to veer them away from the original gospel. They were saying they were coming in and they, they had all these different types of teachings. And one of them was like, hey, there's no way that Jesus Christ could be who you really think he is because he was born in the flesh and flesh is matter and matter is evil. And if you really believe that, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Well, the, the other teaching was, well, that wasn't Jesus on the cross. That was just his spirit. And as soon as he was getting ready to be nailed to the tree, the spirit left him. And so they had all these different types of, of uh, uh, manipulations, and they taught that don't believe in that. Believe in spiritual perfection. If you can do things to help your spirit develop, that's what's going to give you true salvation. Your spirit must be full. So maybe you need to just do these certain things. Maybe, maybe like we've watched, there are certain parts of the world during um, Good Friday that people will take themselves and they'll keep whipping themselves, thinking that's going to bring them to a place of spiritualness, spiritual fullness, where now I can be closer to God. God's like, no, get rid of that. That's just horrible. You can't do anything to earn favor in my eyes, God says. It's trusting in my son. If you can trust in him, if you, if you, if you love him, if, if you love him, then I promise I'll love you more than anything that you could have possibly imagined. And the spiritual blessings that are coming your way are going to rock your world when you come into heaven. As a matter of fact, I'm even going to let you experience some of them now. Right? What a spiritual blessing for us to be in the house here this morning, engaging in fellowship with one another, hearing testimonies, loving one another. Right? We want those in these houses to come and see this. Because little do we know how many broken relationships are on this road. How many people on this road are probably on the brink of divorce, depression, anxiety, suicide. Who knows? I'm not saying there is, but chances are, there probably are, because without Christ, without Christ, there's just darkness. And God says, I know that, and I know that you could never even love me on your own. That's why I am going to remove your heart of stone, and I will put a heart of flesh in. I will cause you to love me, because I know you can't even do it on your own. That's how much I love you. So Paul wants to celebrate with this church about that. He's celebrating with this church that they didn't cave in to those teachings. They didn't. They stood firm on the true gospel that they were taught. And they didn't go to the left, and they didn't go to the right. And Paul says, for that reason, we should celebrate. Let's celebrate your faith, right? Let's look at also, Paul celebrates the love that they have for each other. He's praising them for loving others. Now, true faith in Jesus Christ will always be proven by its reality, by the love that we have for others. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He wrote this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Easier said than done. Either said than done. 
as Christians, we're not just united together by our mutual interests and personal salvation, as good and beautiful as that is. That's a beautiful thing. But we're knit together by love. The love that we have inside of us is a force from Christ that we're to share with someone else. God's saying, listen, I'm going to give you a love, but I don't want you to treat it like a vacuum where you're going to go out into the church or into the world and you're just going to suck up all those things that are good for you and keep it to yourself. That's not what God wants. God says, listen, the love I have for you, I've given in and through my son. My son loved you enough to die for you to bring me glory and the salvation that was created by me for me, God says, right? We must remember that. Salvation was created by God for God. Because it's always important for us to remember that we were created by God the Father as a gift to God the Son. We think sometimes, well, salvation, salvation was created for us. No, it was created for God. We just are the beauty that allows to be reciprocated. We're allowed to receive that. We're on the one hand receiving what God has made. Listen to this illustration on love. Tell me what you think. When Chuck Colson was serving his prison sentence after the Watergate scandal, I think we're all at that age, we remember that, something like that, his newfound faith was severely tested. His wife did not understand the born-again business. His son was picked up on drug charges, and Colson himself was despondent, but God met him in his misery. A group of Christians in Washington, including Senators Hatfield, Hughes, and Q, were praying for him. Senator Q discovered an old law that allowed an innocent man to serve a prison term for another. And Q volunteered to serve the remainder of Colson's term. Colson turned him down. But what Colson experienced was true love. And it revived him, and it revived his faith. I don't know if I would have done that. I got too many things to do. And I don't think, uh, especially when I was out in the front of this church this morning when we first began, I was smelling cheeseburgers from someplace. I don't think there would be any of that in the prison. But man, you look at that. Man, this guy says, Chuck, I'll take your spot. I'll do that. Now, right, so here it is. Jesus says, if you love me, You'll obey me, right? Jesus says, by your love, you're going to prove that you belong to me. Those who, my, those who are my real disciples will love other people, right? It's so easy for us to do that. Now, again, the church at Colossae, Paul was celebrating them for their love for others. They didn't just love themselves. They loved everybody around them. They, 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 they love the unlovable. I, I think that when you read through the Bible thoroughly, you can't help but coming to a place of understanding that God has loved the unlovable and is still loving the unlovable. The church at Colossae, that's what they were doing. It didn't matter whether they were barbarian, Scythian, Jew, Greek, slave-free, uh, male or female. What they come to know through Christ is that they were able to sit at one table together no matter who they were, at one table they can sit together and say, man, you know what, I know you're a different person, I know you do things differently, I, I, maybe I don't appreciate it, or maybe I wouldn't do what you're doing in the way, in the matter of what you're doing, but you know what, we're one in Christ. So you know, we can sit at a table, and we can engage in a meal, we can love one another in spite of our differences. They never knew what this meant before Christ came in. 
They had never experienced anything like that. Jew and Gentile together at the same table. It was a sin for them. They were even taught, uh, rabbis were not even allowed to even associate with people like us. You couldn't talk to them. You weren't, it was downgraded for a rabbi to even teach a Gentile about the Torah. He wasn't even allowed to do that. And they would sit down at the same table because everything was changed. Right? That, that's the way it has to be for us. I think that one important thing is that, that here, us at Goodwill, we're not held together by a geographical location. We're not held together by a common language. We're held together by the love of Christ because God has created a people for himself. And we're it, whether you like it or not. So get used to one another now because we're going to live together forever in heaven. I know it's going to be different then. I know we're never going to experience sin again. I know that. But if we're here together, I mean, we've got to learn to embrace one another in our differences. I know everybody's not going to be as cool as me. I get that. I get that. I get that. My wife will tell you, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I've broken one. What's that commandment? Thou shalt not lie, right? So, but I'm saying, this is, this is what Paul was celebrating. I think if Paul knew what we were doing here too, I, I think he would be celebrating us. I think he would. We're here and we're, we're going to love the community. We're going to love one another. We're going to do things. We're going to have some men's breakfasts, women's breakfasts. We're going to have gatherings. We're going to keep the doors open. We're going to shout at our lungs. Hey, man, we're here. We're here. And figure out a way to let these homes know we're here. And it, there's light at the end of your tunnel. There really is. And his, his name is Jesus. And we want to show you who he is if you're willing. If you're willing to give us a chance just to show you and tell you our testimony if you're willing to listen for five minutes, if you, if just for five minutes, if you can listen, we'll tell it to you. I, I think one of the biggest roadblocks for many people in the world today in which, where they, they have this struggle to receive Christ is that there's a lack of hope. I, I think this is one of the biggest problems. And that's what those false teachers were trying to do. They were trying to unsettle the Colossian church by trying to move them away from the hope of the true gospel. For the most part, we're not going to trust um, a casual acquaintance in the same way that we're going to trust a good friend. As we come to know God more and more, we begin to trust him more and more. When we trust him more and more, we begin to love him more and more. I think the other roadblock for us is sometimes that we become so short-tempered with one another. For an unbelieving generation, right? For an unbelieving generation to experience what we have and to see what true love is, we have to be able to live with one another and show that. We have to be able to have love and patience with one another. Because if these people on the block can't see that we can't have it with one another, why would they trust us? And I'm not saying that's not it. I, I really think that this is a beautiful thing. We're celebrating today. We are celebrating that we are here. 
we've made evident, I mean, I I watched the video of the first service and then to hear about a successful breakfast and many more to come. I was telling Glenn, what an idea. We can walk down here and we can cut a hole in that fence and we can use the pool. We can incorporate that with the church, right? Wouldn't that be a good idea? (laughs) I said, that's that's me, right? Cut a hole in the fence. We'll tie it back up. They won't even know. When they're gone, we'll just use it on the weekends, right? We'll use zip ties, right, Ed? All right. Listen to, um, we, and we just have to love one another. I mean, look at, look at verse 7. I, we're getting ready to land this plane here. Uh, look what verse 7 says. Just, Paul says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved faithful servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. The gospel was not even brought to the church at Colossae by Paul himself. It wasn't. It was brought by a, name, a man by the name of Epaphras, whose name I think is mentioned three times in the Bible. His life was changed by Paul's ministry, by what Paul was preaching, by the life of Christ. Epaphras' life was changed, and because of that, he brought the gospel, one of the people that brought the gospel to this town, and everybody's life began to change. It's amazing what one life can do. That's why we're taught by Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 3. Peter says, listen, church, goodwill, always be ready and willing to share the testimony that's inside of you with someone else. Just to, it's, it's really not rocket scientist. It's not rocket scientist. It's really not. It's just being able to share with someone else what God has done in your life. And I know that he's moved you. You believe in Christ, you're here. But, but sometimes, I, this is what this is, and I'm not saying it's us, but sometimes I, I wonder, we have to think, like, if we believe, right? I look at Epaphras, his life was changed, he came and brought the gospel, and, and, and the people of Colossae were changed. If we're people who say, if I asked you the question, is knowing Jesus Christ the best thing on the planet? We would all say yes. Do, you, do we think the people in the neighborhood need to hear it? Absolutely. Are we going to bring it to them? Yes, we are. And that's why we're celebrating, because we're going to do it. Now, some of us may inside go, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? Is he going to make me knock on the door? No. Let God create. God will always create the opportunities. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with knocking on doors. I think you need to have a weapon of some type nowadays to go knocking door to door. I think it would be a very dangerous thing, Okay. I'm not saying to do that. However, look for the opportunities that God does create. As I'm standing outside, I just seen a couple people wave by, and I was waving to them. I said, like, <laughs> you can do it. Glenn, you're going to do that, right? You're going to look at people and you go, come on, man, come on. Come on. Just, would you just be willing to come in for five minutes? Would you just be willing to do that? Can I, can I share with you what God has done in my life? I'm just asking for five minutes. Real quick, the other day, I had to, uh, uh, Renee and I are in the process of, of getting a, a new car for her because we're giving Brianna, uh, who's uh, going to third year at Liberty University, and give her a vehicle to take to school. So we're in the process of trying to find some whatever new, used, don't know. I think a bicycle, if it has any kind of motor on it now, is $100,000. So I call up the dealership. 
And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give any names or anything. I, I know I'm not even supposed to say the dealership, but, I, but whenever, there's like 11 or 12 girls that answer the, 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 the phones. And they'll always say, hey, it's a great day at Healy today, right? So in the past, I've always said to them, I've, I said, hey, is it really a good day? And they joke around and this and that, you know. And, and, and some of the things they say, I'm like, if, if, could I, I could be a boss and you're telling me this. So the other day, a girl answers the phone. She says, hey, it's a great day at Healy. How can I help you? And I said, can I ask you an honest question? Is it really a great day at Healy today? Or are you just saying that? I'm figuring she would have said something funny. I'm moving on. There's a pause. Are you there? She goes, she starts crying. She's like, no, it's, it's not a good day here. As a matter of fact, it's not a good day in my life right now. As a matter of fact, my whole life is falling apart. She's crying on the phone. Right? Sometimes I think that we, I think, I think, I'm not saying for sure, but I think we take evangelism and we complicate it. Right? And it's, it's just trusting in God to put the people in your path that belong to him. They don't even belong to you and me. Jesus said it in John chapter 10. There are other people in the fold that have not come in yet. That's why I give you the commission for Matthew 28. Go out and find them. And matter, what, matter, matter of fact, I'm going to put them in your place because they belong to me. I'm just going to use you as the method of the feet that bring good news to my people. So I got to talk to her. After. Talked to her for just a minute or two, this and that, blah, blah. I said, all right. So I said a couple things. I told her I'm a pastor at a church. I gave her the church service time. Blah, blah. She's still crying a little bit. She connects me over to the salesperson. I, mean, I think there's a few other things I could have said to her, right? But All right. So I, I try calling back. And I'm not going through the whole list. I'm not telling the other girls, do you have a girl crying over there? Can I, I'm not doing that. So I just, I forget it. She texts me like a half hour later, and she just says, you'll never know what you did to me and what you saved me from with the words that you gave me today. It's not me. But I, this is no chip on, on, on Ken Fanning's shoulder. You know that. That God is going to put, the, 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 he's going to put those, those things, those, those ways, those, those methods, he's going to put them right in front of you, right? He's going to put those opportunities right in front of your feet. And God is saying, I just want you to be faithful. Just share with someone else. People, would you be willing to just listen for five minutes? Five? And if you don't like what I have to say, you, you can walk away. I just want to share with you for five minutes what God has done. Be willing. In closing, I think that there are so many reasons for us to celebrate. The beautiful hope that we have in seeing Jesus and going to heaven and be with him forever is truly a powerful force in the Christian's life. When we begin to think and realize the joy that we're going to have with him in heaven, it should only cause us to love him more and more. It should excite us more and more. I, I think about, I remember watching, me and Renee, watching our children, even family members. It's not just children, it's family members. When we're getting ready a couple of days that lead up to Christmas Day, watching my children. And my children, when they were real young, doing practice runs, waking us up at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, hey... It's not the 25th yet. And they said, yeah, but it's getting close. All right. Or, how, or the excitement that you have when you know that you're going to go on a, on a vacation. 
And you're like, you know what? We're getting out of Dodge for seven days. We're going to have some fun. We're going to be eating food. and We're going to be eating all sorts of ice cream and everything. And there's this joy. And God is saying, that that's what the Colossian church was going through. And that's what, we're gonna go, that's what we're going through too. There's an excitement that breeds inside of us because we know what's waiting for us. And for those reasons, we celebrate. So let's celebrate together that we're God's holy and faithful ones. I want to read this last paragraph just the way I wrote it. Let's celebrate together that we are God's holy and faithful ones, that we are brothers and sisters with a common father. Let's celebrate that God's grace has been freely poured out on us, and let us celebrate that God has given us faith in Christ, love for all the brothers and sisters in the church, and a hope that's laid up for us in heaven. And finally, before we take us into communion, let us celebrate that God is always celebrating us. Amen? And for that, that takes us to the table. John. This table that God has given to us has been instituted by him. It's a gift for us. It's a, it's, a, it's a time where we come and we are to remember what Christ has done and we are to celebrate that the work has been done and paid for. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul tells the church that before you do eat and partake of the Lord's Supper, that we should examine ourselves, me included. That we should look at our lives and see if there is anything that needs to be brought before God. If we are to eat and drink of the table in an unworthy manner, the Apostle Paul was telling the church at Corinth that some of you are getting sick and even some of you are falling asleep, which really meant that people were dying. I love the instruction that Paul gives because what Paul is saying is that if there's something that you need to do to get right before God, do it now. I'm going to lead us through prayer. If there is something that, that you need to bring before God, then bring it to him now. God doesn't want to keep you away from the table. He's celebrating life. He wants to bring you to the table. But he also wants you to say, if there's something that you need to bring, if there's something that you need to apologize, do it before this. Because in and through that, you're acknowledging my power, my sovereignty, my hatred towards sin, and my love, my unconditional love and forgiveness, that I crucified my own son so that you can have eternal life. Pray with me if you would. Thank you so much for this moment. Thank you for the cup and the bread. And Lord, as we know that there's nothing magical here in these elements, we do ask that you set them aside for a holy purpose, that our eyes would look upon this matzah with the holes and stripes, that we would be reminded of what Jesus has done to bring you glory and to seal us for eternal life. We're reminded by the cup, this, this, this juice in place of wine, it's, it's red crimson color, that the blood that was spilled out from the body of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And that the Holy Spirit would seal that in our we wait for the day that you come back to take us to be where you are. Father, if there's anything now, me included, may we just take a short moment and bring our hearts to you. If there's something that we need to say, Father, Abba, we're sorry, so that we would be right in taking, let us do that now.
Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.